having nice gear is good, but it's not all about the gear. It's about the content. And when you do have something nice, be content in what you have and use your tools to tell the story and make sure the story is good. Welcome back to another episode of the No More Zero Days podcast. I'm your host, Eric Savage. And today we have on someone I greatly look up to as a man and as a filmmaker, Bobby Brunel. In 2012, Bobby founded his video production company called Talman Films. He is a husband, father, believer in Jesus, and a filmmaker. Today we discuss his journey as a filmmaker and how he's able to apply his Christian principles behind the camera. He's worked on numerous television and web series productions, working with everyone from the Weather Channel to BET and everything in between. Episode 22 begins now. All right, so I want you to go back, and I want you to remember, if possible, the first time you ever picked up a camera, whether that was as an adult or as a child, and I want you to tell me about uh, your first time holding a camera. Well, luckily, when you grab a camera, you literally are recording, so I know exactly when that was. I was, oh gosh, Um, I think I was in middle school, and we had one of those like shoulder cameras that you plop the VHS tape in and you record directly to those. And then I don't remember what I was doing. I think I was walking around like a pool party filming people and they were just constantly telling me to get the camera out of their face and the footage is terrible and I was not good at it. And yeah. Um, So I was that, like I said, I tell people this all the time. I was that kid in middle school running around with a camera like just filming everything. This is actually like a pretty popular narrative for a lot of um, people that are actually successful today with cameras. And it's just kind of funny. And that's why I love asking this question to other, uh, you know, video creators is why do you think that was? Was it for you? Was it the curiosity? Was it you already had that thought in your mind of like, I intentionally want to create something? Was it the joy of documenting? Or, Or what was it for you that you you feel like was kind of that motivation of picking up a camera that, you know, that young and not having, you know, social media. Cause I think a lot of, you know, kids that age today are obviously very influenced by wanting to create content for social media or they're familiar with like, Hey, I can make money from this or I can get famous from this. But back then, like there was not that at all. So what do you think motivated you to kind of pick up a camera? Well, looking back to it, like if you watch any of my home movies or anything, you know, not just my home movies, but my family home movies, like there's a video of when I was one years old, one year old, and at Christmas, my dad just put this camera on a tripod and let it run for like an hour of just us just opening up presents. And I think he did that for every holiday and every occasion and everything. So there's always sort of been a camera around. And I just maybe that was implanted a little bit, but I remember picking up the camera thinking like, it's fun to create something with video. Cause you know, you're always watching TV. You're always watching movies growing up in our, our generation. And it's just, you know, you just want to create something if, if it sparks something in you. And so, um, you know, me and my friend, uh, Alex who grew up with me, we were always skateboarding in middle school and we would like go get the Tony Hawk DVD or the girl skateboarding DVD or anything. And we would just skateboard around and film each other. And I remember seeing something that was super cool that, uh, in one of the girl, uh, skateboarding, if you don't know, skateboarding girl is a brand of skateboard. Um, 
I remember seeing this video they did where they had green, they did chroma green skateboards and I had no idea what that was at the time. And it looked like they were just riding around on nothing. And it was, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I was like, how do they do that? And so, uh, I think that was one of the things where you really realized you can do a lot of cool things with video. And I wanted to just do cool content with my friends, even though everything we made back then was terrible. And I don't want to look at any of it again. Kind of catch us up from, okay, so you picked up a camera for the first time, you're inspired by skateboarding. And then now, you know, you have talent films, you have your own film company, kind of take us on that film journey of how that all came to flourishing of kind of your experience as a, as a, a filmmaker, as a director, you know, as a, an agency owner, take us on kind of that experience and get us caught up to speed. My story might be different from a lot of people's because I sort of knew what I wanted to do from a you know young age. And so as soon as I got into high school, they had a video program. They had, you know, video one, two, three, four. I think they called it electronic media back then. And, you know, you made news packages, you made videos, you learned, you studied film and did all this stuff as like an elective class. Um, like, but uh, funny story, um, I, my freshman year, they actually didn't let me in the video production class. So I ended up in engineering and learned how to run a CNC machine. So my senior year, I actually did um, electronic media three and four. And um, so I basically was double dipping, doing like the news in the morning and then packages in the afternoon. Um, and it was a lot of fun, actually. Um, but so I go from high school, just videoing, making videos, news, a little bit, everything to then going to college for it. And I went to Valdosta State. Um, I really liked their program. You know, they were a little bit smaller. Obviously, they're not, you know, a big school, but they were hands on immediately. They were telling me like, you you know, if you go to UGA, you might get in the newsroom after their second year, but you're first year in, you can get your hands on a camera at Valdosta. And I was like, I don't want to study and look at books for two years before I get my hands on the camera. I want to just go right in and do it. So I did that. Um, and you know, that was fun. I was a video emphasis, which I don't even think they have now. They, you know, there's a little bit of news. There's a little bit of filmmaking. There was a little bit of everything. And we were, I remember the cameras, we were using JVC, I think it was HD 100s or something. And we had to shoot on mini DV tapes still. Um, even though there was like an SD card slot, I think at one point I went out, I was tired of using mini DV tapes and I went out and bought an SD card from Walmart and was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Not logging these tapes at a one by one ratio waiting for a 60 minute tape for 60 minutes. Um, so I had my junior year, summer junior year between uh, junior year and senior year, I had an internship with the weather channel. And from there I met some freelancers that worked for them and stayed in contact with them um, working out through my senior year. And when I got out, I just started freelancing, helping them out on productions and slowly building up gear and my business. And now I've been doing this for nine years. What is kind of your take on the impact of social media on the younger generation like I kind of talked about before a little bit ago is I feel like and and I don't want people to feel guilty if maybe they're listening to this and they're like self-identifying raising their hand of like I fall into that category um but it's just like an honest fact that you know like pretty much everything else is if you see 
you know, some youth statistics, like 70% of people between the ages of like, I don't know, like 15 and 30, I saw the other day are like, I want to be an influencer. And, you know, and a lot of that's driven by this like idea of people wanting to be known and being famous and think it's easy. And just this idea of like, I can wake up and do whatever I want and collect a paycheck. But there's definitely that side of that train of thought has, I, and in my opinion, and, and you you're feel free to disagree, but has definitely uh, impacted you know people aspiring to pick up a camera in their hands, and and they see that, and for better or for worse, and that's why I want to just ask that to you, you know, because similar to how you you saw you know the Tony Hawk DVD or the girl DVD or the skateboarding content, like you know maybe YouTube content is that for this generation, but what's kind of your take on hot take on? kind of how has social media impacted kind of the film community moving forward? Well, there are a lot of people that can pick up a camera and they have an eye for it. I mean, that's what people tell you if you're good at what you're doing in film is like you have an eye for it. And there's a lot of people that don't, but you know, sometimes they can make good content and that's all they need to sort of get there and, and get an audience and do that. But I was having this conversation with somebody the other day and I kind of thought it was funny because he's probably eight years younger than me and um, was telling me about TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. You know, I don't, I, I create content for businesses and clients. I don't necessarily create content for myself, advertising myself and doing that. And, you know, I, I try to grow a little bit of audience here and there, but he was telling me like, Oh, you got to get on TikTok. I've only been on it for a year and I have 27,000 people and doing all this and that. And I'm like, Oh, maybe, you know, maybe this guy's doing something smart here on TikTok and making money and doing something. And then I find out a little bit, you know, 30 minutes down the conversation line that, you know, he's like, Oh, I really wish I could go full time and do this. And I realized like, he's got all these followers. He's got, all, he's basically an influencer on TikTok and, you know, smaller one, but he's basically an influencer on TikTok and he can't even do this full time and pay his bills and do that. Meanwhile, I'm not famous. I'm not Instagram famous. I don't want to be an influencer or Instagram famous. And I'm, you know, raising a family. I have a paid off car. You know, I have a nice house, a nice gear, and I'm doing it, making films for other people. I think there's, I think there's a good in between of where, you can do both though. But, you know, I think it's sort of like the NBA or sort of like something else where, yeah, you want to, you want to be a professional athlete and you're like, Oh, I'm really good. But there's such a small percentage of people that go out there and actually make a good living doing it, which is, you know, I'm not saying don't do it and don't want to be that. Cause maybe that's right for some people. Maybe you can have a good influence, but you know, it's really, it has flooded the market with people that think they can, make good films and you know sometimes that's a good push for what people want to do um and it's, it's a good push for somebody to be like i don't want to work this i don't want to work this nine to five i want to get a camera in my hands and make content and good for them and I'm, I'm i was one of those people um you know this is another good example too there's this guy matt mormon he's a um he runs obsessed garage um he was like a big wig financial person i don't really know his whole backstory even though i've heard it from him um he's a he was big in finances and and was you know making a ton of money and doing all stuff but he wasn't happy and he was just obsessed over these numbers and and marketing and and just the stock market in general and 
he stepped step away from it all and created this YouTube channel. And he's by no means like a filmmaker. He, but all of his stuff is so well researched in the information and content that he has. You know, he, he didn't have to be a great filmmaker to produce good content. And that really helped push his career. And so, you know, I just thought, you know, you don't actually have to be a good filmmaker to make good content at the same time, as long as your subject is good. What do you think is the difference between people that do and don't make it as, as filmmakers that do make it to the next level and do this for the rest of their lives or for a good chunk of their, their time and are able to do this full time and pay off the car and, you know, have a nice house and, and you know, and doing, you know, a really great job. What do you think is that difference between people that, that make it and don't? Sometimes it's just finding the connections and, you know, honestly, I think people just like working with me because I'm personable sometimes, you know, I get along with everybody. I have, you know, on an, on the Enneagram, I'm a two. So I'm a helper. I'm the person that just wants to put everybody else's needs in front of mine. And maybe that sometimes goes over to my clients as well. And, you know, I think when you have that relationship with a client and with a corporation or with the marketing team or with somebody, they want to go back and, and use who they like. They want to go back and be, you know, they could get some young, cool kid with a T3. I don't know. I'm just being dumb here. Um, you know, they could go out and, and find somebody new and somebody fresh. But when you have those relationships with your clients and, and you stay connected and keep updating and ask them like, Hey, how are you doing? What are your video needs this month? And, you know, you get that consistency coming and, you know, there's never really like a true consistency when you're running your own business, but you know, budgets go away from clients. You know, there was one time I was doing like three behind the scenes gigs in one year. That was a really consistent paycheck. And then all of a sudden all the shows got canceled and not because of me, I was doing behind the scenes. Um, but you know, I don't know what really makes the difference of who makes it and who doesn't. It's sometimes just being in the right place at the right time. Like I can, I can mark my whole career down basically to two relationships. And it was this one guy that I met from the weather channel. And then this one guy I met who did a lot of work for BET and those two relationships that I had that I'm still friends with and still do work with, uh, from, you know, eight and nine years ago have broadened my, um, horizon of clients. And I just, am, I'm, too busy basically it's just hard to tell what really makes it and what doesn't consistency um constantly trying to you know don't be stuck in your ways learn new things learn after effects learn this learn that you know um and constantly try to like reinvest into yourself and that doesn't necessarily mean like always have the coolest newest camera but you know update your website spend time on your reel do a little bit of this do a little bit of that just to focus on you um, and my wife tells me this a lot too, but you know, yeah, you can work, you can work for the business all the time you want in talking about your own business, but you also have to work on the business of, you know, getting your leads, getting your website in line, getting this, getting that, getting your books straight, you know, so there's a lot to it. Talk to me about how has, uh, being young and married, you know, changed the dynamics for how you, if at all approach your business or your day-to-day -day. and then on top of that being a brand new dad tell me about how those two things because i can't imagine that they've changed anything at all that's a that's a bad joke but 
Uh, I say that sarcastically, but tell me about how that has changed things uh, for you as a, as a business owner, a filmmaker, but then also as you as just Bobby, you know, the man. Like, tell me about this time in your life. So I was married when I was 25 years old. It was actually a month before I turned 25. And, you know, I was doing pretty well at that time. I was maybe three years into my business. Um, so things were consistent and stuff like that. But I lived at home because I've been with Rachel for so long. I lived at home for the first three years after college. So I didn't have any rent. I had a car that was bought with cash. I All I bought was date nights and a camera. And basically, I, I almost reinvested everything back into itself, which is somewhat smart because it did pay off. But at the same time, it's, I should have saved, saved some more for more important things. Um, I did also have to save for engagement ring, which, you know, has to happen. Um, but, you know, life now is m- way more complicated than it needs to be sometimes. I mean, you are a husband, you are a father, you, you have to, you have to have a good work life balance. And sometimes that's hard in what we do. I have a friend that does this a lot and he is always working constant, constant, but he's, I think he's newly in a relationship. Um, but he's been single for a while and he focuses all on work. And, you know, I, I make an effort to take a day off every now and then and cut it off at like 5 PM when I can and just actually spend time with my family. And, you know, I, I have a trip planned in May for Disney. Um, and I know Kate's not old enough yet for, Kate's not old enough yet to appreciate Disney, but we're mostly doing it for us. And so we can take good photos and be like, yeah, we went to Disney when you were one and a half. Um, but you know, it's a lot more complicated now, especially, you know, my wife used to have a nine to five and I was basically when I would edit, I would stay at home and edit during her nap times and take care of her during the day. And when I couldn't like get her distracted on something, I can edit for maybe 20 minutes at a time. But she, got a lot more mobile. She got a lot more complicated and needy as babies do as they're growing up. And now if my wife hadn't quit her job, I would be, I wouldn't be able to get any work done. I would have hired an editor a long time ago. Um, if I had to keep this up, so, which is probably a lot more expensive than hiring a nanny, but it's probably about the same too. So, uh, it's, so it's a lot more complicated, but you have to, you know, it's, it's really, it really just comes back down to that having a good work-life balance and being able to keep your clients and, and happy, but also keep your wife happy because you might have a client leave you now and then, but if, if that happens, you know, you can always get another client. If your wife leaves you, that's a lot more heartbreaking and that's not what I want at all. So I'd rather keep her happy and just find that good balance. What role do you feel like that faith has played for you as a business owner, as a filmmaker, like how has that impacted you, if at all? It's impacted me more in the past three years than it has. Um, I was sort of in a faith journey when I started the business, uh, you know, doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And now there's more stuff that I'll turn down because it doesn't, it doesn't look good. And it's not something that I want associated with me, you know, 
and I know sometimes people that do like music videos, they're like, oh, well, we want the woman shaking her butt and doing all the stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to be, I don't want to have any part of that stuff anymore. So, you know, there's, I did this job before and it was in a, it was a cooking show, but it was a cooking show in a strip club. And, you know, the first day, it was a two day shoot. The first day it was fine because the club that we were working in, there was nobody in there. Absolutely no one except for the cook who came in on like their day off to work. And that was fine. But the second day it was sort of midday open and it just, I felt bad. I felt kind of disgusted doing it. And, you know, I, I made a, a note to myself after that, you know, I made a goal to myself after that. I'm not going to do any more of these jobs that affect my heart and affect it that way. And, you know, now I also try to surround myself with people of the same yoke of we all are Jesus believers. Cause you know, I don't want to go on a job looking professional. And then somebody comes on that I hired to help me out, like dropping F bombs and doing this and doing that when, you know, I'm a person of faith and I don't do that. It's just not, it's not professional and it's not what I want to have around me basically. How are you able to kind of share faith in these secular um, you know, environments, but, but for the better or for the kingdom or something for a bigger purpose. Well, there was this, uh, sermon from Grant Partrick, um, not too long ago about how, you know, if you surround yourselves with likewise people and, you know, I just talked about bringing more Jesus followers on my crews and stuff like that. But as far as like your circle of people that you work with or you hang out with, if you only hang out with Christians, all you're going to do is be around Christians and you're not going to bring anybody else. So, you know, I think it's okay to go out and be around people who aren't believers or atheists or whatever they might spaghetti monster believe in, whatever. Um, you know, and just show them that like you are a person of value and, and make them, you know, you, you're nice and you're, you love people and, it makes them think like, what's different about these people? And they want to get to know you. And that's when you show them like, I'm different because I love Jesus and Jesus tells me to love the world. And, you know, at, at the same time, like, you know, I, I thought like maybe my path was to go work for a church and make a church better. But at the same time, you know, I'm doing really well and I tithe and, you know, I think they actually might get more out of me if of me volunteering and you know giving my time at the church while also giving my tithe to the church. Basically, I think that you know you can you can be of the world but not be in the world. You know, you can you can be around people that aren't believers but still believe and influence and show them that you are a person of faith and that you know you're not like forcing it on them but it's changed your life. And that's what I've been doing recently with like other people that have known me for so long and, you know, can see that I'm not the same person that I was a while ago. I'm not this guy who's just filming whatever comes across his bookings and this and that and swearing. And, you know, I'm generally a happier person and I care for people. And, you know, you just don't want to surround yourself with only the people that are like-minded because if you only have those people, then who are you influencing? Who are you changing? It is to me, the hardest part, at least for me of being a Christian is this idea of understanding that 
you kind of have to take a step back and look at things of like, how how does this affect people's perception of me? And it's not living to make other people's happy because that's not the right way. There is a distinction. It's being true to yourself and and truly, at least to me, you know, having to make this intentional decision of like, I I want to influence others for more. I want people to see that there is more to life than X Y Z, and and I was definitely guilty, and and still I'm sure on days guilty of it, and I'm trying my hardest to to get better about this, but to be intentional about, like you said, the words I say, uh, where I work, who I work with, and it's not shunning those people away, and it's not, uh, you know, saying I'm better than you. But it's definitely being intentional about who do you associate yourself with from the perspective of, you know, I, I think we all could, you know, easily see someone that's faking something or, or you know, I just don't want people to ever think that my, my faith is fake, that I'm this way on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday I'm this way. And, you know, it's it's a work in progress. All right. So I just want to ask you a few couple questions uh, and then we'll let you get out of here because I know uh, you were up late editing, uh, as I'm sure is a lot of nights, but that means work is getting done. So congratulations on that. But what do you think was the hardest lesson that you had to learn as either uh, someone that owns your own business or as a filmmaker? Well, as somebody that owns their own business, the hardest lesson that I've had to learn was taxes. Um, I am lucky enough to have parents that are CPAs and they gave me a little bit of advice beforehand but when we get paid invoices you know I have to just save a big chunk of that and put it away and be like you are not my money you have to go back to the government and that is so hard when like I have to pay the government basically a new camera or a new cine lens or even a set of cine lenses and you're just like I could have used all that money for so much more gear that could have helped me out and it's just something that you have to know because everybody has to do it and it's it's, that part's not fun as a filmmaker don't be closed-minded always be willing to learn more and that's you know sometimes i get set in my ways of like i'm gonna do it this way i'm gonna do it this way um you know there was one guy uh, i was brought on as a b camera for this one production and i watched how he did his interview lighting and this was like four or five years ago and i was like wow that looked really good and I've sort of been mimicking and, and adjusting and tweaking my interview lighting based on what I saw him do four years ago. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's always something that somebody can teach you, even if it's, you know, something that's by the books or not by the books. And that's just a thing that you should use to help grow and, and you know, never be afraid to help somebody's production out. That's not yours. You know, and that's and that's one of those things that came from the B camera operator that I did you know not not everything's about your production sometimes it's about helping people produce good things if you could send yourself a, a, a message from filmmaker Bobby in 2020 to you know filmmaker Bobby at 23 uh you know age 23 rather not 2023 but what do you think would be that one singular piece of advice or watch out or tidbit of information that if you could take all of your experiences and thing you've learned now, what would you go back and tell yourself on day one? I think I would tell myself on day one that having nice gear is good, but it's not all about the gear. It's about the content. And when you do have something nice, be content in what you have and use your tools to tell the story and make sure the story is good. I'm always, and I still do this and I'm guilty of it. I know 
basically everybody is in this uh, industry of ours is there's always another piece of equipment that could help you out better. You know, I, I want to upgrade my gimbals to a Movi pro right now and it's $6,500 and it's like, do I really need that? Or can I use what I'm using now to suffice? And there's this whole concept of just being content with what you have and happy and, and being able to use those tools to make good videos. And that's the problem that I have constantly. And, and, and I could tell myself that when I was 23 versus now, and it'll probably will go right over my head. We kind of joked about this when we talked about having you on here, but I want to come through on the promise, uh, cause we're both gear nerds and you perfectly segue this question. Second to last question, uh, is I want to have a bit of a gear talk and from the aspect, though, uh, do you have enough time? Yeah, I was about to say this is probably uh, <laughs> we'll pause and start uh, episode two and just call it Bobby and Gear Talk. But um, talk to me about and you kind of just hit it, the nail on the head. But I just want to give you kind of the the lane to, to talk about this. And there's kind of that saying, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, but you know, people always are always asking me, and you know, you're way more talented than I am, and. Uh, you know, I look, I even look up to you and I ask you a million questions, but you know, people are always like DMing me like, Oh, like what's the best camera or what should I use or da 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 da. And there's always that saying that it's like, and I think you actually already said this on, on the today's episode. Uh, but the best camera is the one in your hand. And I like 1000% agree with this because the way that I break it down for people and then I'll stop talking. I want you to talk about this, but, or get your perspective is, you know, if you have a really I'm trying to think of a, uh, a nice euphemistic sounding term, but a less experienced camera op and a visionary and someone that just doesn't really have a vision for it. And you give them a red camera and you pit that against someone who is very talented, uh, someone like yourself who has a vision, who, you know, likes to create things or can see it in their head or, or can bring things to life. But let's say you give them an iPhone, like, I'm going to bet 10 times out of 10 on, you know, the U version of yourself that has the creativity with a crappy phone that they're going to make something look better than a $25,000, you know, red cinema camera top of the line. So I, I don't think, I think a lot of people starting out, you know, see, and, and again, you and I are both geared nerds. So it's not like we're dogging people to do this because I spend probably way too much time uh, just researching cameras, watching YouTube camera reviews, figuring out, you know, how am I going to go carve out five to 10 grand to go buy this thing? And that's not what I need to be doing at all. But, uh, you know, what's kind of your take on gear or what advice would you give to people starting out or, 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 or just what do you think is valuable when it comes to gear? Like, what are those bare necessities? And you said it right. Like, the best camera to have is the one that's in your hand. You know, they, they showed the latest commercial for iPhone was shot on an iPhone. Uh, David Lech, Leach, I'm probably saying that wrong. He's the director of John Wick, Atomic Blonde, Deadpool 2. Uh, he did that epic snowball fight. That was, I think it was a Super Bowl commercial or it was right around the Super Bowl or Christmas. And it was, I mean, it was amazing. And he shot it on an iPhone the whole time. There's, there's a lot of aspects that go into good filmmaking that's more than just what camera did you use. It's, you know, the lighting, it's the story, it's the sound. You know, if, if you have a red and you're using an ambient mic, listening to somebody 10 feet away talk and it's echoey, I'm not going to watch your video. I'm not going to hear what the guy's saying. I mean, there's like a deodorant commercial that was going around Hulu for a while. It was the worst audio ever. And I, I couldn't, I was like, why would they let this fly? Why, why would they not spend 
a little bit more and get an audio guy or, you know, and, but you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good tools to help you make videos. And I'm not saying don't have the red or don't have, you know, I have a, I have a C300 that I use for a lot of my television web series interviews stuff. I have a black magic pocket cinema 4k. Uh, that's my newest camera. It takes a lot of data to use. So you have to be prepared to upgrade your data and your storage. Um, there's, and then I have two Sony a seven threes that I use. I kind of bought them for like a wedding setup and then stopped doing weddings as much. So, um, you know, I, but I still use them for photography too. Uh, I have an Inspire 2, I have a Mavic Pro or Mavic Pro. Um, you know, and I have all these pieces of gear, but I could use any one of them and, and make something good. You know, I don't have to use the newest, the best. So there's a lot of aspects to it. That's if you can tell a good story, you don't, it doesn't matter what you're using. And that's the point is using lighting, using framing using foreshadowing just anything dialogue you can tell a good story so it's not necessarily your camera um you know if you want to shoot a commercial of you know a burger flying through the air on fire and you need a thousand frames per second you need a tool for that and that is a camera that can do that but as far as telling a story of you don't even need slow motion sometimes to get a story across that i feel like everybody wants to use slow motion to show and and honestly recently i've been switching more and more to you know your regular 2398 speed of telling the story to bring it back together is you know there's a tool that's needed for each job and it's not necessarily it doesn't have to be the biggest and the best you know i could shoot something on a t3i with a 50 millimeter lens that looks good but at the same time i like having the new the best gear so that's where it's the conflict is um, but I will say if you want to invest money and you want to do that, you know, buy a camera, but invest more in glass, invest more in lenses, invest more in audio. Audio doesn't change that often. Your lenses, I'm using a 15 year old 70 to 200 that still looks amazing. Um, you know, if you cheap out on lenses, it's going to affect you. You're not going to have as good of an image in low light. You're, you're not going to have the F stop you want versus your you know kit lens or your variable lens and you know there's there's ways to invest and spend a lot of money in the industry and still get a good image you know if if one job requires a red rent it you don't need to buy it if one job requires a phantom if one job requires a sony you rent it you know unless you have a niche and you only use that camera then maybe think about buying it that's what i did with my c300 i started this podcast because i've found myself one day caught in this belief that I either felt like today had to be, you know, I had to get a hundred things done or today was just a wash and it was just a zero day where we get nothing done towards accomplishing, you know, the things I need to get done. And I feel like that a lot of people live their way, their life that way, whether it's being a filmmaker, whether it's being a dad, whether that's, you know, going on a diet and feeling like, oh, I just had a piece of candy, you know, like, let's just go have a pizza for lunch and, you know, we'll start again, you know, on Tuesday or like, oh, we'll start the diet or the workout plan next week, you know, and I, it's, I feel like everyone lives in either that it's a hundred or a zero day. And I think that for at least for me, what I found is the reality is, is where you really get things done is it's somewhere between zero to a hundred, you know? like 
Today can be a, a 10 day or a 99 day or a, a 20 day, but it just can't be a zero day. And so I always ask the, the guests the same question to close out uh, today's episode. And so what what career advice, uh, personal story, just your own wisdom, you're obviously very wise. Would you want to say to someone that's kind of stuck in this zero day mentality where you know, whether it's being a, you know, a filmmaker or just whatever it is their goal is where they feel like they're stuck and they're getting nothing done towards accomplishing that goal for their life that they want to happen. Make your bed every morning. If you make your bed every morning, you get one thing done. And I do it every morning. And yeah, it also makes Rachel happy. But I mean, it, it just shows that you're, you're getting up and you're ready to accomplish something if you make your bed. And like a drill sergeant had said this speech before and I loved it. And it's, you know, basically successful people make their bet um, or they have somebody make it for them. I don't know. That's the really successful people. But if you can just get one thing done, it's not a zero day. And if you make a list and start to see what you can achieve that day, or at least get to being on, you know, if you open up a program and make a couple cuts in an interview and then you get distracted with something else or busy with something else, or have to go on a shoot, you know, you made those couple cuts that you didn't make before, you know, so there's, there's always something that can be done. So that's what I have to say. Make your bed. 